I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is our author's bookshelves. Today, we are with Steve Brogan, who has written six, five books, and his sixth book is Crimson Scimitar. And Steve, it's timely because you are a novelist, first of all, which I always have great appreciation for novelists because you have to really use your imagination. But you've intertwined, you know, Osama bin Laden and you basically said, what if we didn't kill him? What if we, in fact, had put him on trial, kidnapped, you know, got, took him and put him on trial? So yes. tell, tell me how you, now I understand it took you 10 years to write this book. Yeah, there's an interesting an backstory. Exercise. Yes, this is an interesting backstory. Uh, I always had liked legal courtroom dramas. And there was an old book published many years ago, which was The Court Martial of uh, General Custer, which mm -hmm. was an interesting thing. What if he had survived the Battle, battle of Little Bighorn and was uh, condemned for his, his actions there? So I thought it would be a good one. And who the most controversial person we have in today's society was Osama bin Laden. And so I started drafting this more of a courtroom thriller. And about one year into writing the draft, suddenly my wife ran into the room and said, the president's on the television. They've killed bin Laden. And so my whole plot thing went out the window. And I placed this book, like many authors do, onto the bookshelves to gain dust as the manuscript. And I pulled it out about a year and a half ago. And I think I did so in several different reasons. And one is we had the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was very controversial. So we had the rise of the Taliban uh, again. Mm -hmm. And we had Al Qaeda still in the area. We had ISIS. And we had a lot of different uh, people on the political landscapes. And I thought it would be interesting to take a person of history like bin Laden and Take the premise, what if he had survived and what would a, a courtroom look like in America to judge him? And before you say, oh, yes, we're going to just see the normal Perry Mason or the normal court battles we see in uh, all the crime shows, it's a little bit different in a way because I also take on, and I, I take this in a certain way, I also take on kind of the social media and the Hollywood elite sort of frame of mind. And I do it in the way that one of the things we have maybe in our society, and I'm not trying to get political at all, is we, and we, but we see it today, right? In the news stories today, we see a detachment from the reality of those people who let's say have the Hollywood mentality. They're basing their mindset on what they create in their minds what their political little small world is, and they don't realize that there are people out there who are killing us. They don't realize that there are uh, groups of people who have it in for America, 
and you can't sugarcoat or paint this into a romantic flair. And so that's why I bring in kind of a Hollywood uh, television aspect to it, which when people read it, I think they start understanding what it is. And so one of my main plot aspects is uh, we don't have the SEALs who capture Osama bin Laden. We have a television bounty uh, show, reality show that's trying to boost its ratings. And they think it'd be a great idea to go after bin Laden as one of their people and make the television ratings. And so we set them in motion and they're out there. And what they do is basically stumble into capturing bin Laden and their life kind of changes from the glamor of chasing a bad guy to the reality of people shooting at them, people dying, and what do they do when they capture bin Laden? And that kind of sets off the theme in that regard. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, a, it's a plot that has a lot of action in it. It, it, it does. It has the SEALs involved. And, it, and again, this is set in 2011. So the SEALs do go to the, Pakistan to capture bin Laden or actually kill him. And it's known that they're going to kill him. And instead, they get there and they arrive at his house and he's not there. And later on, it turns out how he gets captured. So you have that. So you have also a SEAL member who is caught up in Afghanistan and actually suffers from uh, basically all the things of war and he is, has some psych problems and he feels like he's killed some of his members of his team. So we have the thread plot of a SEAL trying to redeem himself uh, from having been impacted by PTSD and those parts of war, which is a reality check. So he comes into the mix. Then we have a uh, basically a CIA agent who's seen the back roads of the Mideast and been involved, involved in a lot of areas. And he's being kind of forced out by infighting in the CIA. So he's kind of tasked to watch over these bounty hunters that want to go into the Middle East. And at that time, it's 2011. So it's President Obama saying, well, we don't need any cowboy TV stars trying to capture bin Laden. So we got to stop them. So as you said, there's a lot of action in area. And, and then it builds. It's, it's a thick book. It has a lot of different plot lines. I think one of the more interesting ones that we could dwell on a little is that I take basically Al-Qaeda and I study where they were in 2011. And a lot of people don't realize that they were on the downtrend. They were not being paid attention to. The Arab Spring was happening. There were more uh, Arabs thinking about themselves than thinking about uh, being in a radical group. And so we take the character of one of the members of Al-Qaeda and we take him through a journey of his ambition to be higher in Al-Qaeda, but also his ambition and transformation of realizing maybe Al-Qaeda is not the best way to go in solving the problems of the Middle East. Well, certainly the time, the timing of this, actually, the, the fact that it's been released now, we have everything going on, you know, in the Middle East. There's, there's, there's an interest in it because right now, I mean, no one's planning on taking any prisoners, as far as I know, in terms of the Hamas hunt in Gaza. <clears throat> right. No, it's, this is a, over there, it is now a fight to the death or a fight to eradicate uh, people who are trying to. Uh, come into Israel and kill them. So it, it's a very sad set 
situation in the U.S. because, again, I think people are misaligning themselves between people and terrorists, between Gazans and the terrorists out there who really their philosophy is to destroy everything. Uh, they're they're a, a burn, burn it down to the ground. That's true. That's true. A lot of people, a lot of people don't understand that there are people on this planet that actually want to kill other people. They, 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 yes. they, it's, it's a, it's a fact of life. Um, how did you come up with the title? Well, basically, uh, and, and it's interesting too, when I came up with the term Crimson Scimitar, a couple of people came up to me and said, what is a scimitar? Oh, really? So well, I, they, had, they, had, they hadn't spent too much time in the Middle East or, or Asia. That's right. And therefore, Crimson Scimitar refers to basically blood on the sword. And you have mm -hmm. actually, when bin Laden, as I said, he was in 2011, and during that period of time, he was in the position that after 9-11, he had lost a lot of power. So he was trying to come up for new attacks on America because he was trying to get rid of American and Western influence in the Middle East and get rid of their control over the oil. And so he, is, he actually made some new plots. And one of the fictional plots that he created was a new attack on America. And I have him, and this is similar to what you follow and, and what your expertise is. I have him in the ability uh, to infiltrate into America coming through the southern border. So that is a current issue that we're all aware of. And in fact, it's built more recently with the idea that there are terrorists coming through the border and we're not catching them. And in fact, the first terrorists that come into the U.S. in this plot come through a tunnel that they've created, very similar to what's now happening over in the Gaza Strip. But also the second person near the end of the story just walks through the border, which is open. And he comes through Texas. And well, we, we actually do have tunnels down on the southern border. A lot of people don't yes. realize that. We, we actually do have tunnels down there that the cartels have yes. built for years. Yeah, that's true. Well, so so let's talk about this because I think a lot of, I, I really, when I, I meant it very sincerely, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who write novels because in my, what I write is just, you know, it's just about the facts and it's just what I see and what I've covered for years. But you have to have a, a level of imagination. Do you have do you have any advice for young novelists starting out? Well, the one, and I run across this a lot of time when I'm doing book signings, people come up to me and say, I have this great idea and I feel like I'll make a great novel. And I just bite my tongue, but I say to them, start writing. Mm -hmm. That is the main difficulty that most people have is they have the ideas, but their daily life or their procrastination takes over. And the other thing is, is write down your ideas and see if they fit into the genre or what you're interested in doing. There's so many different places one in writing can write a theme, whether it's science fiction, fantasy, uh, romance novels, whatever. There is a major industry out of it. I think the problem that most of us writers have nowadays is, very frankly, you're not just a writer. Today, you also have to be the marketing agent. You have to know how to promote and get your book out there. You can't rely on your literary agent or the publisher. You have to be seen. You have to have dialogues like we're doing today, which I'm very thankful for. But you have to get out there and let people know what you're trying to promote. And then the other thing is social media is important. You have to start building a fan base. 
you'll find out like, for instance, most of the successful cookbook publishers or rather cookbook authors are tied into cookbook shows. So well, the do, people you, who you've have, written a cookbook, haven't you? Didn't I see that on one of on the list of your books? Yes, thank you for reminding me in the way. I'm happy to say my wife uh, wrote a cookbook, and I'll tout it very proudly, is that she basically was a store manager for Sir Tob and Williams Sonoma stores. And during the course of her career, she collected over 3,000 historic vintage cookbooks. And she oh. wrote basically a, a history. We're back to history. She wrote a history of those cookbooks and then tied it to her own life and what she was going through and her baking and kitchen store uh, business. And I was kind of the editor of it. I just helped put it together and get it published. But that book recently, about a year ago, went on to win a special award from Gourmand International, which has a major cookbook award. And we were asked at that time to go to Sweden, but we were still going through the throes of COVID. So we felt like we couldn't make that trip, but it was a very proud moment. Well, let's that she let's, got let's plug that right now. It's called Cookbook Passion. Yes, by Pamela Curie Grogan. Okay. And, it, and it's really, it has, it has 200 pages of historic cookbooks and the stories behind them. A lot of people just maybe see an old cookbook, but there are a lot of interesting stories about the famous people who wrote them. Uh, a lot of them have, were stars, movie stars that wrote books, but there were also social people. There are also very famous uh, uh, raconteurs of the 20s and 30s. And her cookbook goes from the 20s up to the 1980s, when probably that was the golden age of cookbooks. So she also has in her collection like signed books from James Beard and Julia Childs and all the major uh, cookbook authors during that time. So well, they're I also... Can't, I can't help but you know, bring in your your granddaughter too. I mean, let's let's talk. She's another author that's in the family. Oh yes, yes. Uh, my granddaughter Olivia just came out with a book called uh, basically about her Lyme disease, which she got when she was six years old, and she went on to suffer through a lot of tribulation because she went through like twenty doctors who couldn't diagnose what it was. They were totally ignorant of what the disease was. And then when it was discovered, she was on a regimen of like 100 pills a day. Oh, and she's still recovering. But today she is a very uh, a happy college student. She started a foundation uh, when she was, I believe, 16 years old, which uh, raised a lot of money and continues to do so, called the Live Lime Foundation. And that raised money to help young people who have the disease to afford the expensive medicines. And then some of the monies went to researchers to help cure Lyme disease. So uh, it's a major step. She's very excited. She wrote the books. It's been uh, a very popular seller. The other thing of interest is I just noticed that Forbes magazine came out with the top 13 young people that move, are movers and shakers for the future. And she was number three on that list. You must be very proud of her then. You She's a very, very talented proud. lady. Yes. All right. So going back, going back to your book, what is yes. it that you want people tell tell the readers why they should read your book? Well, the primary who reason is entertainment. Who are you targeting with this and book? 
Um, I'm uh, kind of the adventure thriller sort of people because it has all the aspects of that. Uh, any political message is stay vigilant because we're facing the chances that we will have something similar to this if we're not vigilant. And I kind of push that near the end. Um, and the main thing is it's kind of a tiered level of kind of where our society is right now. Perhaps that we may not be caught so much in the entertainment world of that reality, but understand there, there are real life issues going on. Again, the Middle East is a perfect example where we woke up to realize people are out there killing people. Uh, but I think it, it back to the entertainment factor. We need people to have an enjoyable time. The other factor is, is to encourage people to read. That's always the main battle out there, is that we are too much caught both in the TikTok world and in the streaming TV world, that it's hard for us to realize that all these things exist because there were other creative people that took their ideas and did something with them. So the challenge is, why don't you do something with it, with your own ideas? Why don't you, instead of watching, you know, I hate to say it, the all the different lives that we call the reality television world, which I focused on, is maybe to create something that you would be proud of. So when you, when you sit down and write, walk us through this. Do you set aside a certain time of the day uh, I, I am one of those writers that kind of goes in spurts and fits. I do have that problem with procrastination. Uh, I do consult. We, we, we all do. We all do. We, oh, yeah. we, we get pulled well, away. You probably, have the merits, you probably have the merits of having a deadline to work against. So you, you are true. forced to do something. Um, basically, I take an idea. I outline it. I mull it over. I kind of write out the outline, then I just sometimes sit down and just start typing and I get a whirlwind going and I can go through several chapters. It differs to different people, but one of the things is you do need a program of focus. You do need to set up a time, whether it's one or two hours a day, uh, you have to do that. That's that's sort of like the other battle when you, they say, well, you need to exercise it. You know how that goes, it goes up and down need to set aside constructive time to do it. The other main battle you have is the editing. You have to be able to chop apart the words you don't like. You have to be able to kind of go back in and redo it. And, and my problem was, as you saw by the book size, you know, I got caught up in a lot of different threads that I thought were important both to the story and both was something to say. And there, with my characters, a lot of times there are journeys they go through. Uh, even with the one of the main characters is a very wealthy billionaire tech guru, and you can think of somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, but I have him and his character kind of doubting his own success. He really wants to try and do something, but he hasn't figured out. He's done everything like create his foundation or go to charity events, all that, but he's he still hasn't gotten that little pizzazz that he sees as his life. And along comes a very successful, uh, very successful lady in the fashion industry who also feels like she could do more. And they kind of hit it off. And the battle line that they have is that they feel like they could do more for the world. And what's the best thing in the world is capture the number one suspect who hasn't been caught at that time. So that sets them off on the on the search and that sets them off of finding somebody who could work for them and they 
run across this bounty reality television show. And each of the characters that I put into the story are going through their own kind of journey towards their own enlightenment. So it's, a le- it's, it's life lessons that they learn going through the journey of, of going after Bin Laden. Yes. And it's masked out of the fact that it's sometimes cliffhanger, sometimes it's showmanship, and sometimes it's, uh, it's kind of getting their act together. So it, it has a lot of little uh, things put into it. Now I can get to one of them, which the readers will find interesting. But it also has the high-tech world of trying to solve finding Bin Laden using high-tech computers. It also has an interesting plot that a lot of people reading the book don't catch on until kind of midway through the book. But Bin Laden has decided to attack America. And Again. he comes up with a plot. He's not going to crash airplanes into buildings anymore. He needs something that will kind of impact all of America. And I'll be kind of evasive in some of this. But the overall thing, he has one of his cohorts. And Al-Qaeda is a very major and Egyptian student that reads a lot. And they have created a plot line based on the successful fiction novels, adventure novels of English and American thriller writers. So if you stop and think of all the thriller plots mm-hmm. that are out there, the Al-Qaeda, your main enemy, is taking all these plots, figuring it out, merging them get together. And who's the person that does all the research for the plots against America? It's the American and British thriller writers who have studied how to attack America themselves and Al-Qaeda is taking over that thread. And it's kind of fun if a reader gets into it and they can figure out some of the plot lines, then they can figure out the books that might be involved. You know, I don't want you to, I, I want people to read this, but I don't want them to be scared to, because maybe you'll give some bad actors some good ideas, but that, you know, that, but that's, that it, it is, you know, it's imaginative. It is. It's very imaginative. It is. Very it's, it's fiction. And keep in mind, all the other thriller writers out there uh, have have worse plots against America than mine were. So, Well, Steve, congratulations. This, and this this is your sixth, I guess it's your fifth book because you were an editor for your wife's. Uh, yes, six altogether. But uh, and Crimson Scimitar, I think, is one of my best ones that I've come out with. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for, for coming on today and, and good good luck with your book. And folks, you can get this history of books as the publisher, Crimson Scimitar. And it's in that you've you've had been um, you, you've had some signings in Barnes and Noble, so they're carrying it too. And I can get yeah, it on. The book, is, the book is available through all independent bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, at History of Books, which is the publisher. Um, it's out there, it's uh, available, and uh, I'm a very excited. I would be happy to hear from uh readers. And uh, Christine, I thank you very much for spending the time with me. Well, Steve, now, do you have a page? Can they get, can they locate you? Do you have a page up there with all your books? I have a web, I have a web page, spgrogan.com. It's G-R-O-G-A-N, spgrogan.com. Uh, but again, History of Books has all my books and Amazon has all my books. Ah, they all have all my books. So That's good. That's good. Well, again, congratulations on this and good luck with it. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time.